Well, thank you very much, Danny. Uh, man, I love that man. That beard is so amazing. <clears throat> um, that's right. Those are the true fans back there. None of you guys who just didn't have that kind of enthusiasm, Danny heard that. So that's all I got to say. Okay. Um, so like you said, my name is Eli. Uh, I'm glad to be back for a second time. Uh, and we're going to be looking at how Jesus is going to be the true and better Abraham. So that's kind of where we're going we're gonna to rest in that um, passage in the Old Testament, which is Genesis chapter 22. Uh, as you begin turning there, uh, I want to ask some questions. Okay. I don't know about you. Raise your hand if you love dogs. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of hands. All right. Uh, what it, just, what's your favorite kind of dog? Yellow shirt. Golden retriever. Okay. What's your favorite dog? Buff Pitbulls. Man, what are you... Okay. German Shepherds. That's a great dog breed. Okay. Easy. All right. One more. Corgis. Okay, man. I, man, I might have to change my answer. Man, I, I do like corgis a lot. Okay. I, I really love dogs. Um, and, and I have... Uh, I have a dog. It's a husky. Yes. Her name is, her name is Indy. Uh, she's cute. She has eyes that beat into your soul as she steals your sandwich off your plate and uh, sheds everywhere. All right. Um, but I love her very much. My wife and I, we got her during COVID and uh, we, we love spending time with her. Um, but I want to tell a story about a friend of mine who also really loved dogs, um, and he had um, something pretty crazy happen to him. I'm going to just take my keys out of my pocket there. Um, I'm not going to give you his real name, is, so we're just going to say his name is James. Okay? So when James was eight years old, his parents gave him a promise that they would get him a dog, like Indy. Okay? And he was so excited. He was ready to receive this dog. Okay, and, and he waits years, okay? He was eight. He turns 12 years old, and his parents finally say, okay, you can have the dog now, okay? You get, you get uh, the dog of your choice, and he picks, let's say, a German Shepherd, all right? So he has a German Shepherd, and he names him Buddy, okay? I don't know if you guys have, I don't know if you have a German Shepherd named Buddy, um, but... <clears throat> Hopefully, hopefully you don't, as the way this story will pan out. Uh, so he loves this dog, okay? James loves this dog so much. He, he takes it on walks. He plays fetch with it, um, and he grooms it. He takes care of it, um, and it's his best friend. And on the dog's third birthday, his parents tell him, all right, this is what you're going to do with your dog, buddy. I want you to put his collar on. I want you to attach a leash to it. I want you to bring him into the backyard with a shotgun, and I want you to put the dog down. I know. That's a big twist. He's 12. All right? So, so this, is, this is a big ask. Like, all of us in this room are now like, what? Who? These people are crazy. Why are they asking him to put his dog down? All right. Hey, guys, listen up. Listen up. So... 
James is kind of confused. He, he doesn't really know what to do, but he loves his parents. So he puts the collar on the dog. He hooks the leash up and he goes into the backyard. His parents pump the shotgun. They hand it to James. He points, he closes his eyes, and he hears a click noise once he pulls the trigger. The gun was empty. And he, he's confused. He's like, what just happened? Uh, I, I don't know what to do. And his parents look at him and they say, hey, now we see that you love us and you care about us and you're obedient to us. Now we are going to tell you the greatest secret that our family has had for generations. We can trust you with it. So the most important piece of information that you need to know, this is James's parents talking to him. The most important piece of information you need to know is, and that's where the story ends. I know, it's frustrating. But something interesting goes on in this story that happens to another friend of mine in the Old Testament. His name is Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. We have a big passage today. All right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I'm going to be reading it in ESV, so if it's a little different than what's on the screen, um, <clears throat> I do apologize for that. Okay. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice on one of the mountains that I will tell you. Can you already see the similarity there? Your son who you love, the dog that we care about, you know, buddy, German shepherd, and his son Isaac. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and he took his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the sacrifice, and arose and went to the place which God had told him to go. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place that he was going from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac, and he took his hand, in his hand, fire and the knife. And they were both of them together. Now... Isaac's probably asking some questions. There's nothing to sacrifice, and they're on their way to make a sacrifice. So Isaac asks a really good question. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, we got the fire. We have the wood. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a sacrifice, my son. So they both of them went together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. 
And you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket where were thorns by its horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And we're going we're gonna to pause there for a little bit. So that's a crazy passage, right? I mean, you can hear like the tension, uh, just in how I told you the story of the German shepherd named Buddy from my friend. Abraham is told to take his son who he loves because God told him, go to this mountain and kill him. I mean, what do you do with that? Just like, we're not going to bring our dog into the backyard with a shotgun. Like all of us are gasping like, don't do that. We love dogs. We, We care about them. Imagine doing this with your own child. With someone who you see them when they're a baby, you feed them, you raise them, you take care of them. In the same way that my friend James was there when the dog was born, took care of it, raised it, and they were best friends. So in a similar way here, we have to ask the question, so then what's the point here? What, what is, whoever wrote this passage, he probably has some like crazy, like, thing in his mind. Something's not right. But if you see here, God tested Abraham to see if he feared God. He tests him to see if, do you love Isaac more than you love me? So go put your son to death. That's what he's asking. So Abraham proved his faith to God by not withholding his son. James, our friend at the beginning, he showed his loyalty to his parents and his obedience to them by not withholding the dog that they gave him. Now, that's a pretty cool story, right? Like, you know, it happened back then. I'm glad that Abraham was able to figure it out in his faith before the Lord. You know, it's story that we read then and, you know, it stays there, right? No. For you as Christians, in this life, you will be tested. You're going to be tested in ways that you aren't even aware of yet, in ways that you can't even imagine. You're going to be asked maybe greater things than giving up your son. Some people could care less about their children which is a heartbreak, and they care more about their money, or they care, more, they care more about their car, or they care more about popularity, their grades, music, or their smartphones. More people care about those things than they could care about their relationship with the Lord. So I will say to you, my main point, the thing that I want you to walk away with is this, you as Christians will be tested and you need to be willing to lay down the things that you hold most closely in your heart to prove Jesus as your treasure. 
Now that's a really hard ask. Why is that hard? Because if God is a good God, then he gives good things. And why would he want to take these things from me? Is he holding out on me? Is he not like being good to me by asking for the very thing that he gave me? Is he holding out? This is what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the garden. You may surely, God says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, just not these two. But then the serpent says, did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? He, he must be holding something back. He knows that if you eat of this tree, this is the good tree, okay? The tree of the knowledge and good and evil, that's the good tree. If you eat of this tree, you're going to be like God. He's clearly holding back on you. The reality is, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they were kicked out of the garden. God is not holding out on you. In fact, he wants to give good things to you. And we see this in Romans 8. Um, God did not spare his own son. He did not let Jesus live after the cross. But he gave him, that's Jesus, he gave Jesus up for all of you. How will he not with Jesus give you all things? He isn't saying that, oh, I'm going to, you know, I got all these good things. This is, this is God talking. I got all these good things and, oh, you know, Joe Schmo over here, he's got some, he's got some nice things. Give that to me because I want that. He's not holding out. He's giving you these good things because he loves you. Notice how Abraham was told to spare his son. He said, don't, don't kill him. Don't lay a hand on the boy. What does God do to his son? He doesn't hold back. He puts his own son to death. Why? If God didn't love you, if he didn't care about you, why would he send his own son who he loves most and kill him for you? Why would he do that? The answer is that, that doesn't, just doesn't make any sense. You see, another example of this in scripture is found in Mark chapter 10. Um, and I, it's not going to be on the screen, but we're going to summarize it for you. Uh, there's a man, uh, and he's a rich, young ruler. He has as much money as you can imagine. Man drives a Lamborghini. You know, he's got a penthouse. He, he's got whatever he wants. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I have followed everything you've ever told me to do through the law. I've kept every commandment. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, loving him, he says, okay, bet. Sell all that you have give to the poor, and then follow me. The, man is, the rich man's like, oh, man, that's a steep task. I don't know if I want to do that. Okay, follow Jesus, have a lot of money. Follow Jesus or have a lot of money. Having a lot of money seems really nice. 
So he walks away. He never reaped the benefits of following Jesus, which is a problem. He wasn't willing to experience life the way the disciples did. The disciples died for what they believed and experienced eternal life at the hands of Jesus and their relationship with him. The rich young ruler did not. He loved his riches too much. God is not just a taker of good things because he wants them. God wants your heart, and he will take things that he believes are interfering or coming between you and him. If he loves you, if something else in your heart is being put in the number one slot, that's an idol. And that's what God wants to remove. Because when your idols are removed, God is sitting on the throne of your heart. And if he's sitting on the throne of your heart, now you can have relationship with him. Okay? Now that seems hard. (laughs) Because we, we... you know, we, how do you, you know, receive good gifts from God? Because, you know, if, if he wants to give you good things, how do you receive those good things and, and yet have to be able to give them up in the next sense? If God's going to ask for them. We need to have a heart like Job who says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to be able to hold those things loosely. We need to hold loosely the things that God gives to us. Because if he asks for them and we, I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give it up. Please, Lord, don't let me give this thing up. We've already communicated the things that we really worship in our hearts. If Abraham loved his son more than he loved God, he would not have brought him to that place. So we're met with a big challenge. How do you give up? How do you give those things up? The reality is, you can't. In our sinful hearts, with where we are, our hearts are experts at putting things in the place of God. We make it so easy to put things in the place of God and worship those things as the greatest things in our life. We've been affected by sin so much that without someone removing our sin from us, then we would bear the consequences of sin, death and separation from God. Romans 6.23 tells us that sin will kill us. And by not treasuring Jesus as he ought to be treasured and instead treasuring the things that he gives you is idolatry and worthy of punishment. That is the lot of our hearts. Unless someone comes and and removes that from us, that's what we are prone to do. That is what our natural process is going to lead us to. So what, what do we do? How do we? How, that, we can't bear that. I can't bear that. But I want to look at this passage one more time, a little closer, to look at someone who did. He says, I want you to go to the place called Moriah in verse 2. 
And in verse two, he's like, you know, go to this place called Moriah. Now, I'm not expecting you to know this, but I want you to hear it. Moriah is north of Jerusalem, and it's a hill, really. When Jesus is brought out of the city to be crucified, he's crucified on a place called Golgotha. Golgotha is on Mount Moriah, which is the exact same place that God tells Isaac to go to, or excuse me, Abraham to go to to sacrifice his son. If you think that's cool, let's go a step further. What does Jesus carry on his back as he's on his way there? What does Isaac carry on his back? Isaac then asks this question, Father, where's the lamb? What is Jesus commonly referred as? The lamb of God. John the Baptist sees him coming. He says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. When Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice, what's provided? A ram is caught in the thicket. The lamb never came in Abraham's day. But when Jesus comes, he is the better lamb. Now, Abraham believes that he, God, can raise his son. Hebrews comments on this. Okay? He, he's like, okay, so if I go up this mountain and if I'm going to kill my son, God is powerful enough to raise him from the dead. God gave me all these really great promises through Isaac, not through my other son, not through riches, not through my smartphone, not through music, not through any of these other things. He gave me lots of promises through Isaac. So if I kill my son Isaac, does that make God a liar? Well, God can't be a liar, so he must have some kind of means by which he can raise him up. And Hebrews comments on that. And you can see it in the passage. What does Abraham tell his two servants? He says, hey, I and the boy, we're going to go over here. We're going to worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham believes that Isaac is walking off of that mountain with him. Now, all of this to say, the similarities between who Isaac is in this story is amazing in how Jesus brings it to its ultimate fulfillment. Because Isaac was led by his father up the mountain to be sacrificed, yet God, our father, leads his son, Jesus, up the mountain to be sacrificed for our sins. So the very thing that we need to do, Jesus did and opens up this path that we can have faith like Abraham because of Jesus. Jesus' death and his resurrection brings about this faith that we need to pass the test like Abraham did. Now we can give up the things of our hearts, like our phone. How many of you... If I would told you, put your phone down, put it in a bucket, and don't use it for a week, would you feel, ah, that's hard, I don't want to do that? How about your friends? We like to sit next to our friends when we listen to messages or when we're in worship, but what if God asked you to give that up for him? 
If, if something in your heart is saying, I don't want to give that up. I don't, I don't want to do that. Do you love the things that God gives you or do you love him? For me, it's security. I don't want to be insecure. I want to know that everything that I do is going to be set, it's going to be clear, and it's going to be done. But more often than not, God asks us to live in the uncertainties. Abraham did not know what was going to happen. He believed God was good. He didn't know what was going to happen. He acted in faith. Which makes us really need to ask the question, do you believe God is good to you? Do you really believe that he's good? Because if you, if you don't believe that he's good, scripture tells us that all things work together for good for those who love God. Notice it's not just, God just works everything together for your, you know, you're good and all this. He works together for good for those who love him. Do you love him the way Abraham loves him? Do you love him the way Jesus loves him? I don't succeed every day, but thank God that there is grace for each and every one of us in that when Christ sits on his throne, you can be there with him. We, need, we really need to wrestle with that question if we believe that God is good and then ask if we trust that the things that we like to hold on to, if we give those over to him, do we trust him to be a good steward of that or, or that he would use it better than we would? You know, if the whole world is his and everything in it, okay, we sing this all the time. Um, this is my father's world, all right? Everything is his. All things belong to him. So if you have anything how did you get that apart from him giving it to you? Do you trust that he will be able to handle it better than you? So how, we, how should we respond? Ask yourself this. What is he asking you to give up? If God tested Abraham, surely he can test you. If God tests more than just Abraham, but he tests Matthew, the disciple, he tests Jesus in the wilderness. And there's numerous examples of scripture of testing to Christians. Even in history. What is he asking? What is he testing you with? What do you need to give up to show him as your treasure? We should treasure him most because he is good. Because the things, the burdens that we couldn't bear, remember, putting things in the place of God is idolatry and worthy of punishment. That's what we are. That's what we can produce is nothing but a filthy rag before the presence of a king. That's what we can do. That's what I can do. That's what you can do. But thanks be to God that he made a way through his son, Jesus. We should marvel at that. We should rejoice that when we sing these songs up front, it's not just because we're coming to church on, on Wednesday night and our parents tell us to come to church on Sunday. We need to live like Jesus is our number one treasure. 
And if someone were to look into your life from the outside, what would they see your treasure as? That's a question to wrestle with. So let us come together and marvel at what Jesus has done because he is the better Isaac. Isaac was imperfect. He was sinful. He was a human. He was alone and he was bound by his father. Jesus was perfect and had done nothing wrong, yet he was crucified for your sins. So join me in worshiping this good and perfect king. Dear Lord, just as we close out the night on a beautiful day, may your name be made known. May, may it land in this room in a way that makes you, much of you and little of me. May you increase and may I decrease. May we see that you were bound, you were killed to make a way for me and many more who were helplessly led to the slaughter like Isaac would have been. Thank you for your mercy by not sparing your son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.